Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, yea, Greetings this Lord's Day, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The book of Ephesians tells us that Jesus made Jew and Gentile one, breaking down the middle wall of partition between the two, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law and commandments. The scripture tells us that Christ, when he was here, he did greater deeds that we can imagine by himself. But he said that what we might even find even more imaginable is that we're going to do greater things than he did. That's hard to even imagine or believe, but if he said it, it's true. Amen? Amen. The only way that we could dare do more than he did is when we lose ourselves and instead of being individuals, We become part of a whole. And in that whole, in the body of Christ, we can do amazing and terrific things. King David knew this. And uh, as we memorized earlier, uh, maybe this year or even last, I can't remember exactly when we did it, but Psalm 133, it's short, but it's a great call to worship today. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in... It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. May we pray today that God would make us one. Amen? Let us pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for calling us together to be your people. Lord, you haven't called us together to learn to be great individuals. And I know that that is our temptation. We all think, what what can I do? What great effect can I have on the kingdom? But the question should not be that. Lord God, how can I lose myself? For the scripture says, for he that uh, loses himself for my sake shall find himself. Lord, we pray that we would find this great life, the life of the unity of the spirit that we indeed would be melted into one, that we would be like wheat that is ground together, and as we are put together, we rise into a great and mighty loaf that would feed the hungry of this world. Lord, we pray that you would forgive our sins, that you would lead us to food that is from above to feed us, to change us, to make us more like you. In Jesus' name we pray, and all the church said, Amen. remain standing as we read, as I read the text for you today, from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. My sermon today, once again, is called One Born of Four. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, And again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. 
And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let him down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there was certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and take up thy bed and walk? For that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose and took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed. And they glorified God, saying, We have never sought on this fashion. Let us pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your great mercy and your kindness. And now we come to the point in our service today where we long to hear your voice. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, your people, Lord, that we would not hear the clever ideas of a man or the interesting stories of uh, our experience, but we would hear your voice that you would speak your words of life to us, that it would change us, that it would make us like you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. After service, I talk to a lot of you and I ask you what I preach about. And some of you sometimes say, well, with all of our kids and the different things, I, I got uh, some of it, but I didn't get all of it. So if you didn't get what I just read in Mark chapter 2, what a story! Uh, It's filled with all kinds of nuance. Uh, It's a story about sickness and suffering. It's a story about friendship, about determination and creativity. And it is a story about sin and the forgiveness of sin, about healing. But it's also about faith and teamwork. Everybody say faith and teamwork. Faith and teamwork. Now this sermon may end up sounding different than any sermon I've preached before because, well, it is. But I, as I began, I, I thought I was going to preach today about sin and the forgiveness of sin. Uh, and we will certainly get to that topic. There's plenty of time to do that. But there was something that stood out about this story that seemed very unique and very powerful. And uh, I really felt that it was what God wanted me to share with you. Now, first, the story. As a boy, the whole scene described here by Jesus used to just fill my mind with wonder. I don't know if, if we, in you kids, when you hear the story, sometimes stories can, can be kind of like uh, fairy tale stories in your mind. You have to picture this really happened, okay? This really happened. And, and, and one day uh, in the life of Christ, this was an extremely, extremely unique story. Many were healed by Jesus throughout his ministry, but none like this. The last few words of our text bear, bear this out best when it says, quote, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw it on this fashion. Put in today's vernacular, they were amazed and they said, we've seen things before, but never anything like this. They were amazed by the whole thing. So what was amazing about it? Well, there was a lot that was amazing about it. Sometimes when we hear a story like the story of Noah, uh, we say, oh, well, and he built a boat. I mean, there's a whole lot that happened over a hundred years that we don't know about, right? They worked on this boat and the story that was involved in the whole thing had to be incredible. And so what happened on this day was something that struck uh, in the minds of the people there that this was amazing and they'd never seen it like this in so much so that the writer Mark here who records the story recorded that thought. People said, we've never seen anything quite like this. Most of the healings 
that we see uh, uh, the Savior do center around Himself. They, but uh, in this situation, it is calling attention to uh, the person being healed. And this happens from time to time, but most of the time it's about Christ. Remember the persistent calls of blind Bartimaeus? As the disciples were walking with Jesus, he called out, Jesus, now son of David, have mercy on me. And, and when they wouldn't come, it says all the louder he cried, Jesus, now son of David, have mercy on me. In so much so that people didn't go over to, to, to call him to be healed. They said, you need to be quiet. But it, what did, what, what's the Bible say he did? All the more he cried louder, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. We also think of another story like this one where the attention is not called to the Savior, but really to the object of the healing. When we remember the story of the woman who had the issue of blood, we hear how many years and how much money she spent and all the difficulty and about the crowd that was coming between her and her healing. But she would not be prevented. She would press way, her way through there. She was not trying to get his attention. She believed that if she could just reach down and touch the hem of his garment, that she would be healed. And we know virtue passed from our Lord and healed her that day. Those were amazing stories as well. Stories focused on uh, the people who God healed in this moment. But this miracle, the one that I call one born of four, is about the faith of five people. It is not about the faith of one. It is about the faith of five. Everybody say the faith of five. This is very unique. You'll hear some verbiage that is used here by our Savior that He doesn't use in any other story. He will say to a lot of the people, Hey, I've not seen so much faith, but in this woman. He'll say, I've not seen so much faith in Israel, but in this great leader. And He'll say, Hey, your faith has made you whole. But here, the Bible tells us something different than we hear in a lot of the stories. Here in Mark chapter 2, in a book of the Bible jam-packed with miracles, we have an extraordinary array of circumstances. Jesus is in a home, perhaps his own home, or the home of one of his followers. Remember, although he was born in Bethlehem and he was raised in Nazareth, uh, Jesus spent the three and a half years of his ministry living in Capernaum. When he traveled around, he had nowhere to lay his head, but in Capernaum he did have a home. He, uh, this is where Simon Peter's home was as well, and where he called Matthew, where he was collecting taxes. And Mark, the writer of the gospel himself, lived also in this town. There was certainly his home base throughout his ministry. Capernaum, it's on the northern side of the Sea of Galilee. Remember I said picture the Sea of Galilee like one of these big panels of stained glass here? And if you put right up on the top, right just on the north side, just over to the uh, west a little bit, you would have Capernaum. And the Sea of Galilee, this great body of water, Jesus did so much around. He was known as a Galilean because of that. And we know that he did it. He healed the uh, maniac of Gadara over here. We know that over here he raised uh, the, the son of the widow of Nain, which we talked about. And up here in Capernaum, he did a lot. On the sea is that, he, that they were on here is where Jesus uh, walked on the water and where the, the disciples lost faith and God calmed the storm through the words of Jesus. In this area was the epicenter of the life of Jesus Christ. Here, as he is teaching in this house, the news of his mighty healings that, uh, and the people that he had touched spread abroad. He teaches and touches many here. And Mark tells us in verse 2 of our text that many, everybody say many, many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. Jesus, the word had come to preach and to teach. As he spoke, their hardened hearts broke and melted, and like hungry birds straining their necks, gaping their mouths open to receive the food, the people pressed in and around Jesus, and they were like hungry birds with their mouths open. Feed me, Lord. Feed me from your word. No doubt standing on their toes, teetering on their toes, straining their ears to hear his words. They looked over those that were shorter, and they were like, what's he saying now? What's he teaching now? As Peter says, in First uh, Peter two two, as newborn babes, they were desiring the sincere milk of the word. Oh Lord, may we ever be like this press of those craning birds and crying babes, longing for food from heaven. 
May we cherish the morsels God gives us each week here as we assemble together on the Lord's Day. And may daily we open our Bibles uh, with a, a longing in our hearts for manna from heaven. May we love it and savor it and crave it day to day as we do the daily bread at our tables. Amen? Amen. May we be the blessed ones who hunger and thirst after the righteousness we find rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, I fondly remember many days, so many of you uh, gathered, uh, and I won't say your names. Some of you said you're, you, me saying your names in my sermons is driving you crazy, so I'll try not to do it. But there are many of you, look at me, look at me, come on, I want to see your faces. And, and it was, we Bible studied. Do you guys remember those days? We did it in people's houses and in people's living rooms and out out by bonfires. And, and uh, we would meet some new person at a gas station and, and we'd ask him if they were interested about hearing God's word. And they'd say we were. And I'd say, I'm going to go. And so many of you would go, I'm going to go too. And I would go and, and you would be there and we would be teaching and preaching the word of God at one point for a long period of time. Eight times a week in different homes all over we were there. You're going to go Bible study? You're going to go Bible study? Where is it at tonight? Where is it going to be tomorrow night? Do you remember those days? I certainly do. We called it doing our... Anybody remember? Doing our... Doing our dailies. The hungry would call for God's Word and we would take it together. We could bring together what they needed so much better. We were one born of four or more. We all came adding to the situation... Uh, our gifts and our talents and our desires and our abilities and we would be there not only to preach the word but to find out what their needs were and together we ministered times have changed god's blessings take so much work don't they you know we prayed for god to bless us with a husband and he gives us a husband like jonathan i'm sorry there i go saying names again and it takes so much work, Ashley, doesn't it? She's tired just thinking about all the work that that great blessing. And then, oh, he sends her uh, little Nora, right? And here comes Nora. And wow, Lord, thank you for giving us so much. But do, doesn't, don't our blessings take a lot of work? They do. And the more blessings, the more work. But I pray for us today that the houses that we have not built and the vineyards that we did not plant will be to us like the Israelites that we will forget the Lord, that we will forget the days of studying God's Word, of loving it, of hungering it, that we'll be so blessed that we forget about those things. May we not be that. Amen? Amen. If we do, God, I pray, Lord, that You uh, would suffer us to hunger again, that we may know that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So here they were, they were locked on His words, that they could not be moved by the sight of what would most certainly have moved any of us. If we were crowded around and someone came carrying a man on a bed and there were four men carrying it, don't you think the crowd would normally have parted, would have normally made way? It doesn't say that there were piles of sick people around here, but the people were crammed in and they were, they were pressed in. The writer does not call them a gathering. Let me read it again. They came unto him bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press... You see, the writer doesn't call them a gathering. He doesn't call them a crowd. He calls them a press. This must have been some kind of Bible study. Can you just imagine them pressing in like that? The only time I ever remember being pressed like that uh, was on a Russian tram. I could tell you the story later, but the people just cramming and pressing and desiring to be in there. And uh, that's what they were doing. We don't know the backstory of the newcomers to the press. We don't know the man's name or how long he was sick or, or uh, how long he had been paralyzed with this affliction. But we do know that he was not alone. Everybody say, he was not alone. We don't know the names of the men who carried him, but it is, uh, says that he was one born of four. I expected heaven one day to meet these folks. Can you imagine uh, the people we'll meet in heaven? And I sometimes do this. And I, I really believe it. I'm looking forward to it, Elizabeth. I'm thinking in my mind, I'm thinking, you know what? One day I'm going to meet someone in heaven. And I'll be like, and who are you? And he'll go, well, do you remember the one that was let down by a rope to, to Jesus? And I'll be like, oh, yeah. You know, can you imagine meeting that person going, wow, can you tell me about that? And then you might meet another one. And they may just simply say, you remember that story about that? He said, I was one. I was one of the, that bore. I was one of the four. I was one that bore the one. We were, took him in there, you know? That was me. I, I carried him in there. Remember that guy? That was me. It doesn't say where they were from or why 
they were not prepared to wait for Jesus to notice them or for him to come outside. But apparently there was either an urgency to the situation or a very determined person among the five. Like the little boy who offered his fishes and loaves, perhaps each member of this legendary five-man team offered what he had. And honestly, I had imagined to preach about something else, but this part of the story grabbed me. I got to thinking, why did they do this? Why did they do this? Why, why didn't they stand outside like blind Bartimaeus and say, Jesus, you know, why didn't they uh, know that he would be done teaching at some point they would wait along the route that he might travel? Why didn't they wait till it was over? But no, they were like, right now we're going in there and we're going to see Jesus. That's what we're going to do. And when they couldn't find a way in uh, through the normal means, they decided that they were going to find their way in another way. Can you picture it? They all were somewhere. They heard about Jesus. They heard that he could and would heal. Some had to say, someone had to say, let's go. Someone had to come up with this, right? One of the four, or even the sick man himself, someone had to take some serious initiative. Okay? Now don't miss this. Jesus called what they did faith. Everybody say, they. This is amazing to me. He tells, he says, uh, in many stories, look at, look at your faith, this person's faith. But in here, he notices their faith. Now, those four didn't get healed that day, but they got what they came to do. They, he says, Jesus saw their faith. And I thought this was amazing and unique in the scripture, their faith. I think faith is not merely, in this sense, individual. Here we see it in a group of five. One, born of four. What they did took initiative. Everybody say initiative. Initiative. Leadership. Leadership. Unity. Unity. Courage. Courage. And determination. Determination. Now I list these five things and and I think I could probably list 20 things. But I like five because how many people do we have here? We've got one born of four. We got five people here. All right. So there were five things that just jumped out at me that had to happen for this to occur. And in fact, not only for this to occur, but for anything that's difficult to happen, it takes certain things. First, you got to have a guy who's willing to take initiative. Someone's got to have an idea. An idea guy is an important part of the team. You may be here and you might say, well, I can't go and I can't do this and I can't preach and I can't do. But you know what you can do? You can have an idea and you can go, hey, hey, I know what we ought to do. You know, sometimes we need people who are willing to think big. Sometimes it's better if the man who thinks big doesn't really think about how hard it might be to get it done. You know, and I, and you know, you say to yourself, you know what? I think if we could just get to Jesus, he's going to heal. And, and, and different people are around and they're saying, you know what? Uh, everybody wants to get to him. Another one might said, have you seen how many people are pressing into and around this house? Do you know how far it is? Do you know how fat this guy is that, that's paralyzed? You know, when you can't walk, you get you, you grow sometimes. I don't know if anybody knows anybody like that, but, but they grow. And if you love them, you get to love more of them over time. And so this guy was being carried. Someone says, he's too big. I, I don't think we can carry this guy. Do you know how far we are going to have to go? What if we get there and we can't get in? Can you imagine all these things? The idea, guys, like, oh, no, we got to do this. we got to do this. Come on, guys. And he has this ability. I don't know all the details, but I believe we should just, we should just go. Do you know that's a virtue? Without that virtue, then nothing happens. Because anybody, you know, the Bible says that, uh, that, the, that, that the lazy man will not plow by reason of the cold. And when it's not cold, he says, I think there's a lion in the street. <laughs> he always has a reason to not do things. But the, the guy with initiative sometimes might not be the sharpest knife in the drawer. He may not think about all the ramifications and all the consequences, but he has the idea and he says, we should do this, you know? It also took uh, somebody with leadership because doing big things for God takes leadership. As we read earlier in Joshua chapter 6, did you guys hear that story? As I'm listening to it, I guess I know I'm listening for what I'm preaching on and I'm listening to this. I'm like, you talk about a story that requires leadership. 
Yes, of course, God spoke to Joshua, but Joshua had to. Did you hear all the details? He's like, I want you to get all the children of Israel. What if, what if I just tried to get all of you? Forget all of Israel. Thousands of people. You know, all little children. Uh, you know, pregnant wives, old people. All that. We're all going to go up to a city whose walls are th- so thick you can have chariot races on top. And we're going to get organized and we're going to have trumpet blowers. And we're going to have uh, men who are a rear guard and men who are an advance guard. And we got people who are going to carry the ark. And we're not going to say a word. I can't even get you guys to be quiet in the one minute before church starts. No one is to utter a word. Can you imagine Derek trying to organize this event? All right, we're going to go up to the city and we're going to walk around it and we're not going to say a word and we're going to do it just like this because if you didn't do things the way God said, what happens, guys, in the Bible? Do you guys remember when they just went willy-nilly, went back to get the ark? And all they had their hearts right and they, there was nothing wrong about, about how they felt and they were excited about God. But when, the guy, when they didn't do it the way God wanted them to, what did God do? He killed somebody. David stopped it immediately and said, we need to get the book out and find out what God wants. Well, they were learning. They learned this about God. You don't just do whatever you want with God. God tells you what to do. You do it. So what do you do? So they needed a leader. He received, as Joshua received specific instructions from God, this man on the bed, there were things that had to be done. If he was going to get from point A to point B, He had to have something to carry him on. They had to be someone to carry him. They had to be someone to decide which way to go. And could you imagine you're carrying this guy and you get there and there's all these people there. And someone's like, well, you know, we did our best. Here they are. And someone's going, no, no, let's try this. Let's try this. Let's try that. He needed to be able to get a leader organizes people, sell them on a plan of action, keeps them motivated. And in Joshua's case, they had to be motivated for seven days. I can't even comprehend this. I mean, one time our church would walk around a building and someone on the top would throw something down and be like, you know, I could get hurt. You know, this is, you know, you tell me you don't think they drop some things on their heads. I mean, if you were in Jericho, Tim, would you be dropping something on people's heads down there? I would be. Maybe, maybe I'm just a bad guy. There are things I would do. I would think that they were funny. I would call out to them. I would taunt them and I would be the guy throwing stuff down on their head. But these guys did it day after day after day. And then on the seventh day, seven times to keep people motivated, not to quit. And they got to keep going because if they don't keep going, if they don't go around seven times, if they don't uh, blow the trumpets, and if they don't shout, I'm telling you, this story would have a different ending. But what had happened? Someone kept them motivated, someone kept them organized, and someone implemented the plan. It takes an organizer to do that. Everybody say, a man of faith is a leader. Number three things it takes is unity. Nothing gets done as a team without unity the bible says we should always be endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace jesus said that peacemakers shall be called the children of god and if a divider one who sows discord among the brethren is an abomination unto god the peacemaker is a picture of what god's spirit can do with the heart of man to change it from stone to flesh by nature, we don't want to work with anybody. By nature, we're like, yeah, I can clean the kitchen, but I don't want anybody in it. I want to do it my way. Right? I won't look at anybody in the room. God is looking for people who can melt themselves away and lose themselves into the greater thing, which is the body of Christ. And, and we learn to do this as families when we can't even learn to work together as families. How can we work together in the kingdom of God? Peacemakers. There are people who bring unity and they're usually peacemakers. They go up beside, they go, you know what? She's really not that bad. She's just having a bad day today. And really, if you could just have a little bit of patience with her. That's what a peacemaker does. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called the children of God. Peacemakers make unity and power where the enemy sows envy and pride. It is certainly not in the Bible Uh, But it says it well when it says there is no I in team. Everybody say there is no I in team. Everybody who's like, oh, no, 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 listen, I can do it, but I got to do it my way. And then you all have to do it my way. This person does not know anything about unity. When we lose ourselves in the hall, we become so much more than we can ever be alone. In Acts chapter 12, as we read earlier in our readings, the people of God gathered together to pray for Peter. This took unity. 
It shook the jailhouse and brought Peter from his dungeon uh, by the hand of his angel. In Acts chapter 2, they were all in one accord in one place when God sent down the Holy Spirit. Later, more than once throughout the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4 and 5, it says, And when they were together, they were all in one accord. And when they were together, they were all in one accord. It says it over and over. And the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And miracles happened when they were together. And they were losing themselves into the whole that was the body of Christ. Acts 4.32, The multitude and them that believed were of one heart. Everybody say, one heart. One heart. And one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. You see, we are not communists, but we are communalists in the sense. Now, not by what somebody else's definition, but we live together. And instead of saying, this is all mine, 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 mine. What we do is we willingly offer what we, resources we have to the body of believers so that the body can survive. So that the body can work together. And collectively, we are much more powerful than we could ever be on our own. This takes us back to what I talked about in our greeting today. How could we possibly do greater things than our Lord? The only way that we could ever do. And he says that we can. I, I, I hate even saying, to say we could do something greater than the Lord. It like, it like won't come out of my mouth. But since it came out of his, we can say it. Greater things than these shall you do. How can it be? Because hundreds and thousands of people lose themselves. And they become melted into the body of Christ. Neither was there any among them that lacked. Why? Why? For as many as were possessors of land sold them. Brought the prices of things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made to every man according as he had need. What on earth would happen if we really believed that we were a body? The amount of resources we have to keep ourselves all living so individualistically is massive. But if somehow we just lost that and we, we, there was some way to have a collectivist mentality that we can't really seem to have what could be done for the kingdom of God. It's been done. And you know, the greatest, the greatest uh, unifier generally is persecution and difficulty. And maybe what's going to happen the day after tomorrow is that persecution and difficulty will be ratcheted up. Well, if it does, I say thanks be to God. May the wolves of hell and all these evil people that have been out, may they come on. May it rally the church into a place of unity instead of uh, laying around and, and just entertaining themselves to death and wasting the resources that God has blessed them with. And we get serious about the things of God rather than about building our own little kingdom over on uh, Bala Road or over in Clark's Lake or over on London Road or in Mount Sterling. We've said, hey, you know what? There is a kingdom being built, but it's not mine. It's the kingdom of God. Another thing it takes is courage. It takes a great deal of courage to do what's right. A man or a woman who is willing to follow the leading of the Lord despite the possible or even definite consequences. That's what it takes. At a place called Micmash. Everybody say Micmash. You should memorize this. There was, a, there was a young man by the name of Jonathan. He was the son of King Saul. And Jonathan saw something there at Michmash. 30,000 Philistines with 600 chariots of iron. And they had a band of less than 1,000. But Jonathan, you know what Jonathan saw? Jonathan said, you know what? I ain't afraid of them. <laughs> Jonathan had courage. Jonathan says, you know what? He says to his armor bearer, he said, come. Now... This is some serious courage, okay? Come, let us go over under the garrison of these uncircumcised. I mean, like, can, can you almost hear it? Can you hear it, Heath? Let's go over here. These guys think they're something else, these uncircumcised Philistines. God's going to show them where it is, and you know what? I'm going to go. Can, I can just, I can feel his teeth gritting. Can you feel it? He said, let's go to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many. Or by few. Come on! I know it's just you and me. I know we're going to climb through some rocks. I know we gotta, uh, we're going to go on our hands and knees. And we're going to go through a hole. We're going to pop out. It's going to be me. And I'm just going to start fighting with all I've got. And you know what happened when he did? 
He killed 20 men that day before others joined the battle. And there were, uh, says all over that area in the rocks and in holes, there were all these uh, Israelites that had been hiding and it was time to come out. Why? Man, watch him go. Whack, smack, his armor bearers there. Hey, let me throw you a new tool. Let me throw you something else. And Jonathan's just whacking and smacking and stacking, right? The bodies were piling up. And the people started going, hey, whoa, check him out. I think I want to join that. And they started cut. And do you know that when, what, you know what happened? They started running. The Philistines started running for their lives. In so much so that Saul is in another place. And he, he says that the ground starts vibrating. The ground wasn't vibrating from some great, it was vibrating from the retreat of the 600 uh, uh, chariots of iron and the 30,000 men. Whole ground's vibrating because one guy crawled through a rock and said, God can save by a few just as he can by many. This courage inspired what? More, more courage. Sometimes we get in a place and we go, well, if God sent us this, you know, then he'll just have to, you know, make his way. And some people go, yeah, God sent us. And if I got to tear the wall down, if I got to rip the roof off, whatever I got to do, we're going to get in there. And it takes courage. Well, what will people say? They're, I mean, we don't really want to interrupt him. I mean, you know, you know, hey, come on, we're getting in there. I am tired of being sick, maybe the guy said. Or, you know what, I'm tired of seeing your wife and your children poor because you can't work. And you've been in that thing long enough. And we're getting up. And we're going to the, where the Savior is. And I don't care if we got to tear the house down, we're going to get to Jesus. And you might go, well, what in the world kind of guy is that? That's the kind of people it took. They didn't get there and just go, well, you know, no, they were sweating and they were working and they had gone all that way. And they were like, well, we can either give up now. No, these, somebody in that group had some courage. Jonathan's courage may have been the inspiration of the courage for David. You see, it was just a few chapters later when David says kind of the same thing. What are we going to do about this uncircumcised Philistine? In fact, in 1 Samuel 18, the chapter after that, the Bible says David's heart and Jonathan's were knit together. You know, I thought that the story was David did it, inspired Jonathan, and then they were knit. But it's not like that. Jonathan was the brave one. David was inspired by it. And then the two's heart were knit together. Why? There is something that happens. A band of brothers forms. And here you have a band of brothers being formed with David and Jonathan. And that band that binds them together. It's not, it's not a courage based on your own strength. It's a courage based on, I believe that God can save by few just like He can by many. I believe God is able. Faith is courageous not because of its abilities, but because of the abilities of God. In Acts chapter 4 and 5, John and Peter courageously continued to preach after they were told. They were like, you know what's going to happen to you? If you preach again, we're going to beat you and we're going to throw you in jail. You know what they said? Can you imagine this, Jason? Can you imagine? He says, well, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, you judge, brother. But as for me and my buddy here, we are going to speak and preach the word of God. We can't help it. Now, is that, is that a sissy? Absolutely. You know what? They beat him and they threw him in jail and they sang in jail and God released him and they beat him again and they threw him in jail again over and over again. They knew what was going to happen. You know, we're afraid to put a sign in our front yard because we want somebody to win. We're afraid people won't like us. People in the church might be mad at us if we knew who we were really going to vote for. We're afraid to even tell our opinions. I, I started to even think about giving an opinion. I thought three of you were going to kill me right here. I'm like, well, I'm not doing that. I mean, you know. You don't realize how big of a sissy you are to you're staring right in the face of what other people are going to do about what you think or what you think you ought to do. And Peter and John, they believe what they, we're going to preach the word of God. He sent us to do it and that's what we're going to do. They boldly proclaimed the word. You want to... Uh, my wife went to this lady's thing and they were like, look for keywords. You know what a keyword is in the book of Acts? Everybody say boldly. They boldly proclaimed the word. They boldly went here. They boldly did this. They didn't walk up and go, well, you know, by Jesus Christ, I just want you to know that maybe you might be healed. Oh, absolutely not. They were wholly bold. 
And they boldly spoke the word of God. They preached it. They didn't go, well, let's whisper. We don't want anyone to hear us. No, no, no. This kind of courage comes from faith. The story of the one born of four is a story of courage. Everybody say, men of faith are courageous. Now, number five, determination. People of faith are not fatalists. They are not those who shrink back when faced with difficulty. They are people who will not quit. Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church ends with these words. It, you know, it's an end cap on all of it. He says, therefore, everybody say, therefore. I've just spoke to you for 15 chapters. I've talked to you about forgiveness and I've talked to you about the order of the church and I've talked to you about the power of unity and how God melts us all together into one. I've talked to you about the power of the resurrection. I've talked to you about how it's more powerful. It has power over our greatest enemy that is going to be swallowed up by God. That death one day will be swallowed up. And then he entered and he says, therefore, everybody say therefore. Now, therefore what? Stand around and wait and see what God will do. He says, no. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast. Everybody say, steadfast. Unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The Bible says that if we will faint not, that we will reap in due season. That if we will just be determined and we will say we're not quitting, we're not giving up, we're we're not going to get to the place and find that the door is too crowded for us to get in and somehow we're just not going to go. We're not going to look at the fact that we don't have the money to have this thing happen or that we're going to say, hey, we're going to do it. Why? Because it's right. Faith is not lazy. Faith does not take the easy way. Jonathan, it says, crawled on his hands and knees through the rocks in a hole to get to the Michmash uh, garrison. Uh, At our story, consider its many obstacles, its opportunities to quit. And again and again, they overcame him. Jesus had not come to the house of the paralytic, right? They came to where Jesus was. They say, let's go to him. Uh, The man says, I can't walk. And someone says, we'll carry you. It's going to take at least four men to carry this the distance. Let's, let's give it a try. We can't even get through the door. Oh, let's look for another way. A window perhaps. No windows are going to work here. There are too many people. There's no way it seems. Okay, let's make a way. Let's make a way where there is no way. Let's cut a hole in the roof. How do we get up there? What do we cut it with? How are we going to lower him down? Can't you see at every turn there was a place where they could quit? Oh, we don't have any rope. We don't have any tools. There isn't a door. There isn't a window. But somebody had to say, oh, well, maybe we can get up like this. Hey, you know what? I think I saw some rope when I was walking down the road. Let me run and go get it. Okay, you know what? We're going to need a saw to cut a hole through this roof. Oh, well, what if they get mad at us? I mean, this is somebody's house. and They're really not going to like it. What if Jesus doesn't like it? When right in the middle of his teaching, a man comes coming down through the ceiling and the floor. Can you imagine if this church were jam-packed and no one could get in the door? And somebody said, oh, i got to get in there bad. And I'm going to cut the roof and I'm going to come in this church. You'd be going, what's wrong with these people? Imagine being the person doing it going, you know, we can't do that. We really can't do that. I mean, you can't cut a hole in a man's roof. You just go, oh, this is all back in Bible days. They just cut holes in the roof all the time. No, they did not. Well, we have asphalt and shingles and, and, and tar paper and, and building codes. and it, Let me tell you, it was just as daunting to them to cut a hole in a roof as it would be to do it right here. They, they were not certain of what was going to happen, but they, someone had an idea. And, and, and they're like, if we can just get to Jesus, if we can just get to Jesus... Mark 2, 4, they uncovered the roof where he was. And they broke it up. And they let him down in the bed where he was sick. They had to uncover the roof. How? They had to break it up. What tools did they have? They had to let the bed through a hole in the roof. Have you guys ever tried to lower somebody? You, you kind of have to be a crazy person like me. When I was a kid, we did everything. We built rafts. And we tried to float them and they sank. And, and we built dams out of creeks and made areas for us to swim. And we, and, and we did try this. You ever try to lower a person down? I watched emergency. Have you guys ever watched emergency? In emergency, they got these special things, you know, and they got ropes. And, and, and we've tried this. You ever try to take a person and lay them on a board or whatever and try to lower them? It's, it's like impossible. It doesn't take one rope. It's not like they find one rope. They got to have several ropes and they got to do it a certain way or you're going to strangle the guy or hang the guy or drop the guy. 
This is hard. This is the degree of difficulty as they, the Russian judge would have given them a 10. Look at this. They just lowered a man. Th- I think half of the story was people were impressed that anyone could do it. Look at that. They've cut a hole in the roof. I mean, the people in the room, stuff had to be falling on their head. What in the world are they doing up there? Oh, here he comes. They didn't put a little hole. They had to fit a man on a bed with some rope and lower the man down. And you might go, oh, this wasn't a big deal. I'm telling you, this was a big deal. Very difficult. Many gifts. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, everybody say their faith. He said to the sick of the palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now they, the great payoff. Here they had worked. They had persevered. They had had an idea. They had had the courage and the determination and the willpower and the leadership. And all of these things, this one born of four, these five men were rewarded by the Savior looking at them. And it says, and he saw their faith. And I love it. Their faith. Not his faith. Their faith. And his sins were forgiven. There were certain of the scribes sitting there reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Immediately when Jesus perceived this in his spirit, they so reasoned within themselves. And he said unto them, why reason ye these things in your heart? Whether it's easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven. Or to say, arise, take up thy bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. Immediately he arose, he took up his bed, and he went forth before them all, insomuch that they were amazed. Isn't this an amazing story? They were amazed, just like I am right now. They glorify God, say, We never saw it on this fest. May we always remember, too, that it took lots of different gifts. That God has gifted each and every one of us in a certain way, and it is not to be despised. In our podcast the other day with Steve and Kara, Steve, uh, it was all I could do not to grab the mic and quote this verse because it was the hardest verse I've memorized my whole time as a Bible quizzer. And when I give it to you in the King James English, I would doubt any of you probably could even tell me what it means, okay? But I'll tell you what it means. It says, it's talking about the body of Christ, how he gave the the apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers to equip the body that they would, they would be perfected or that they would grow up in Christ, that they would become something apart from themselves, that they would lose themselves and become something uh, in a wholeness of the body of Christ. And he says this in, in Ephesians 4, 16, it says from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that, which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. And what that means is this, you got a part, I got a part, she's got a part, he's got a part. Every one of us, if the body of Christ is functioning the way it should Every one of us should be contributing an essential element to the work of the kingdom of God. It is not a, uh, a story. It is not an organism of one great talented person who is all of these things. And there are great people that have all of these things. But God isn't looking for that. God isn't chosen to save the world by judges. That was the time in Israel. Now he's saving it by the undefeatable champion of the world, the body of Jesus Christ. That that the gates of hell will not prevail against. That which cannot be defeated, even though you kill us, we will keep going. Even though we suffer, we keep going. And the body of Christ, we say, hey, when one's gone, we just put another one in his place. The body of Christ has survived throughout time. And in a sense, not in a sense, in reality, Christ has become eternal. When He rose from the dead, and we say He left, no, He came in us. The body of Christ. And though time has marched on, and though uh, geography has changed, and politics have changed, and world kingdoms have changed, the Bible is telling us that the kingdoms of this world shall soon become the kingdoms of Christ. And it will happen through you and through me and through this church, through the daily faithfulness to God. There are churches daily and weekly. I come together. I was telling Jason, I spun him around and I wanted him to look. And I said, this is is one of my favorite parts of every week. 
I love to stand up here and I love to, to watch, you know, Sarah come in and hug her friend and, and for Christy to come in and to see her sister and the kids to talk. And next thing you know, kids are braiding each other's hair and the people are, and I love that noise. It, it reminds me, it reminds me, Derek, of like when the, when the, 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 the symphony is tuning up, you know, and it's, 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 it's noisy and it's, and I just love it. And I just, I just go, oh, I just revel it. I almost want to, if I could just grab that and just take it home with me every now and then I'd just look at it. God has taken the weak things of the world. That's you and me. We're frail. Sickness can hurt us. It can, it can cripple us. It can kill us. Sickness can, can, can cause us to be discouraged. Difficulty, poverty, all of these things that come against the church, but the gates of hell, and all of these things cannot prevail against the church of the living God. May we be one. I don't know if in the story you're the man with the palsy or you're the one who bore him. Maybe, may we all imagine and understand that what the church is, it is a glorified one born of four. God is looking for the faith, not of one, but he's looking for the faith of a group of believers who lose their life and save it in Christ. Can we say thanks be to God? Let us pray. Oh, Lord, you are good to us. You give us a story that maybe if spoken very quickly, we miss the great power of it. But dear God, help us all to see ourselves as the one on the cot. Maybe we don't have the ability to walk, but maybe we say, I believe. Maybe we're not the one who needs the miracle, but but we can at least bear the stretcher. Maybe we are not even really bearing the weight of the stretcher because someone stronger is bearing it, but we're there behind and we're going, oh, you know what? I think I saw some rope. Maybe we can use that. Lord, the different roles that we we play, Lord, may we not despise them, Lord, in as much as we don't despise the, the little things, even when something very insignificant on our body is hurt, it affects the whole body. Some parts are more beautiful, some are more seen, they're more prevalent, but all take an important part in the whole. Lord, may that be our goal today, not to be everything, but to be just part of what you are doing. In Christ's name we pray, and all the church said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.